Welcome, my pretties. Please do come inside, grab a beer, and have a seat, because things are about to get spooky. Hello, and welcome back to The Spook Inn. I am your host, Saf, and this is the show where I drink beer and talk about horror movies. Today on the show, I'm drinking a pumpkin porter from Beer Brewery, and I'm spooking with Jason. All right, as I said, I have a pumpkin porter from Beer Brewery, and uh, this one comes in around 5.2 ABV. They're 18 IBUs, which is Venom on our Geek IBU scale. Uh, on this can, we have a pumpkin-headed skeleton with a scythe, I think those things are called. And he's got a around the top of it a buck like a one of those pumpkin bucket like plastic buckets for trick or treating. He's also got a couple of pumpkins next to him, and it looks like some crows or ravens on top of those. There's a moon in the background with some bats flying and an R.I.P. headstone back there, and it's really got those spooky Halloween vibes that you want when you're talking about a Jason of freddy a michael any horror movie essentially and it also looks like he's climbing out of a grave almost much like jason in part six jason lives which i'll get to shortly all that really says about the beer is chocolate pumpkin awesomeness so there's not much information there also has their slogan on here taste our awesome but other than that it's got that black background it's really cool i like it i like this can a lot some additional detail on Untapped. It says roasty and chocolatey porter base provides a balancing malt profile to the pumpkin spices. But I'll uh, talk more about Untapped once I get into the beer. For the color of the beer, I'd say it's really dark, a dark, dark brown, but it's not black. Porters are just like a really deep brown color. Somewhere, I hate to say it, but I think it's probably a Freddy's Fedora, which is a 46. Real close to the end of our list, but uh, I mean that that's the a perfect matchup, and you'll see why later. Or if you've already listened to the Freddy episode, then you know why. <laughs> now let me take a sniff and take a sip after I do that. Pretty malty smelling. Get a little bit of those chocolate notes, a little like hint of pumpkin and like the pumpkin spices. Not really the pumpkin, but you know like cinnamon, clove, nutmeg type things, and uh, also like a little bit of vinegar. Uh, I think that's just the alcohol maybe or something. I think this is from last year, so it's been around for a while, like 10 months or something. But now I think I can take a sip, and hopefully it's still good. Okay, a lot going on there. I get the chocolate right away, and then those like little spices come in later. It's a pretty tasty porter. Yeah, there's like there's also like a chocolate, a lot of good chocolatey notes to this porter, I'll say that. Definitely getting some of that roastiness, those malt. The more I drink, the malts are coming through more. But the pumpkin is very subtle, which I'm I'm okay with that, because I'm not a, if you've listened to the show before where we talked about pumpkin beers i'm the one that's not super into the pumpkin flavors as much i used to be and then i kind of got wore myself out on them but uh so i really like this one i like the subtle pumpkin and it's not too overpowering let's see what get back to untapped and see what our friends on there have to say there are 874 check-ins uh 3.93 average I got a couple of friends. James R. gave it a four. Dustin the Duke, who actually gave me this beer, he gave it a four and a half. 
and his wife Allison gave it a three and a half. So I think she she wants more pumpkin. Usually, whenever I've had beer, like we we are drinking pumpkin beers a few weeks ago, and that was our complaint about the one that it just didn't have enough pumpkin. So I'm guessing that's probably the same with this. But nobody wrote anything. Um, let's see anybody else. Christina says a good porter, but not getting much pumpkin. But she did give it a four. here we got Rick he says from the first sip this one tasted better than last year's batch and gave it a 425 which I might be drinking last year's batch now that I think about it I can't remember when Dustin gave this to me it seems like a while ago Um, a couple more Steven says six years after I first tried this beer I decided a re-rate is called for Uh, this is a great porter with pumpkin spice notes that don't slap you in the face a wonderful beer he gave it a four i think that's a good note to go on that was a pretty long review and i pretty much agreed with it so let me check mine in and i'll let you know what i said all right i said a really yummy porter with just a subtle pumpkin spice and um i kind of already went over all of this but uh, i'll repeat it just Uh, to get my final thoughts here Uh, i did give it a four i think it's really good i like that the pumpkin is on the lower side i do feel like for me that's a good thing but if you're going to say it's a pumpkin porter the pumpkin has to come a little harder or it should be uh noted on the can that it's like a subtle if it if it's not uh in the description that it's a subtle pumpkin you expect it to be a stronger pumpkin and um that's the only thing that's kind of hurting my review a little bit. But uh, for me, I really like it. Did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. His name was Jason. All right. This is the season finale or maybe series finale, and it has been all building up to this. Friday the 13th is the franchise I grew up on and have loved since I was probably 12 years old. I rented all the movies on VHS with a buddy of mine in like 7th, 8th grade, 6th grade maybe. Uh, Definitely middle school era. Probably too young because they were rated R. But we rented them all and had like three four weekends in a row he would come over we watch a couple of these so and i just fell in love with them they're so ridiculous they get more ridiculous as they go they're start out like a great horror movie but i like when they get crazy and they do get really crazy with this franchise there's no better way to end the first season for me than discussing some of my favorite movies so let's get going friday the 13th is an american horror franchise that comprises 12 slasher films a television series, novels, comic books, video games, and a tie-in merchandise. The franchise mainly focuses on fictional character Jason Voorhees, who was thought to have drowned as a boy at Camp Crystal Lake due to the negligence of the camp staff. Decades later, the lake is rumored to be cursed and is the setting for a series of mass murders. Jason is featured in all of the films as either the killer or the motivation for the killings. Is that true? I don't think that's true, but we'll get to that. The original film created a cash-in on the success of Halloween 1978 and was written by Victor Miller and was produced and directed by Sean S. Cunningham. The films have grossed over $468 million at the box office worldwide. It was the highest-grossing horror franchise in the world until Halloween 2018 was released, putting the Halloween franchise at the top spot. Although the films were not 
popular with critics, Friday the 13th is considered one of the most successful media franchises in America. Not only for the success of the films, but also because of the extensive merchandising and repeated references to the series in popular culture. The franchise's popularity has guaranteed a fan base who have created their own Friday the 13th films, fashioned replica Jason Voorhees costumes, and tattooed their bodies with Friday the 13th artwork. Jason's hockey mask has become one of the most recognizable images in horror and popular culture. All right, let's go to the franchise breakdown. Let's run through these movies. Killer mommy. Killer. I explained the franchise once before on episode 252, Friday the 13th, The Geeks Visit Crystal Lake, but I'm going to do it again here with more information and less interruption from my fellow geek hosts. In the original Friday the 13th from 1980, Miss Voorhees, Betsy Palmer, stalks and murders the teenagers preparing Camp Crystal Lake for reopening. She's determined to ensure the camp does not reopen after her son Jason drowned in the lake due to the negligence of two staff members. The last counselor, Alice Hardy, fends off Mrs. Voorhees long enough to grab a machete and decapitate her. Now, in Friday the 13th Part 2... 1981, Jason is revealed to be alive and fully grown. After killing Alice Hardy, Jason returns to Crystal Lake to guard it from all intruders. Five years later, a group of teenagers arrive at Crystal Lake to set up a new camp, but Jason murders them. Ginny Field, the last counselor Jason attempts to kill, finds a cabin in the woods with a shrine built around the severed head of Pamela Voorhees. Ginny fights back and slams a machete through Jason's shoulder. Jason is left for dead as Ginny is taken away in an ambulance. During the events of Friday the 13th Part 3 from 1982, Jason removes a machete from his shoulder and finds his way to Chris Higgins' local homestead. Chris returns to her property with some friends and Jason kills anyone who wanders into the barn where he is hiding. Taking a hockey mask from a victim to hide his face, Jason leaves the barn to kill the rest of the group. Chris seemingly kills Jason with an axe to the head, but the night's events drive her into hysteria as the police take her away. Friday the 13th, the final chapter from 1984, continues where part 3 leaves off with Jason found by the police and taken to the local morgue after removing the axe. Upon arrival, Jason awakens to kill the coroner and the nurse before returning to Crystal Lake. A group of friends rent a house on Crystal Lake and fall victim to Jason's rampage. After killing the teens, Jason seeks out Trish and Tommy Jarvis, who live next door. While distracted by Trish, Jason is attacked and ultimately killed by Tommy. Friday the 13th, A New Beginning from 1985, follows Tommy Jarvis, who's was committed to a mental health institution after the events of the final chapter, and grew up constantly afraid that Jason would return. Roy Burns uses Jason's persona to become a copycat killer at the halfway home to which Tommy has moved. Tommy's supervisor Pam and a young boy named Reggie manage to defeat Roy. They eventually learn that Roy had a son who was murdered by one of the patients at the institution, triggering Roy to take on Jason's likeness and kill everyone there. So this is my uh, qualm with the opening that says all the movies include Jason or someone killing on the behalf of Jason, because this one doesn't include Jason, and this one's using Jason's likeness, but he's not doing it because of Jason or anything that involves Jason. So, uh, it's a stretch. 
There's also this great fan theory that I just discovered that not only improves this movie, but Jason Goes to Hell as well. Uh, and I'll go into more detail on that when I talk about that movie. So just keep that in the back of your head. Before that, we got Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. This begins with Tommy visiting Jason's grave after being released from another mental institution. Tommy inadvertently resurrects Jason with a piece of the fence surrounding the cemetery acting as a lightning rod. Jason immediately heads back to Crystal Lake and kills the people working at the new summer camp. Tommy eventually chains Jason to a boulder that he tosses into the lake where he leaves Jason, who is revealed to be alive down there. I I remember seeing a news article about five, six years ago probably now that somebody built like a lifelike statue of Jason in like this whole boulder scene. And it's at the actual, they uh, put it at the bottom of a lake very reminiscent of this, but uh, I think it had to be removed because people were calling the police thinking there was a (laughs) dead body down there. I feel like that would be terrifying to swim upon, like see that, I would probably crap my pants. Next up is Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood from 1988. This movie begins in indetermined length of time after Jason lives. Jason is re- resurrected again by the telekinetic Tina Shepard, who is trying to resurrect her father, whom Tina caused to drown in the lake when she was a child. Jason once again kills those who occupy Crystal Lake and is returned to the bottom of the lake after a battle with Tina. Jason is resurrected again in Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan in 1989 by an underwater electrical cable. He follows a group of students to the senior class cruise to Manhattan, where he kills the ship's crew and the majority of the students. Upon reaching Manhattan, Jason chases Rennie and Sean, the two remaining students, into the sewers. Jason eventually melts away because the sewer is obviously filled with toxic waste every night at midnight. Everybody knows that. All right, now we are at Jason Goes to Hell, the Final Friday from 1993. Jason, through an unexplained resurrection, is hunted by the FBI at Crystal Lake. The FBI sets up a sting that successfully kills Jason. Through possession, Jason manages to survive by passing his black heart from one being to the next. It is revealed that he has a sister and a niece, and that he needs them to get his body back. Jason resurrects himself, but his niece, Jessica Kimball, stabs him with a mystical dagger and he is dragged into hell. All right, now uh, to that fan theory I mentioned for um, A New Beginning. It's It goes something like this. Roy is a paramedic in that movie, so perhaps he was on the scene when Jason died in part four and became possessed by that black heart. Then when he witnesses his son's murder in A New Beginning, this triggers this change where now he is more like Jason Just like how the people in Jason Goes to Hell get possessed by the dead heart of Jason. I wish this was somehow tied into either movie. I can get past the possession thing in Jason Goes to Hell. I would rather see Jason do all of the killing, but okay, if you want to throw this new thing in here, I'll I'll go along with that as long as you get Jason back by the end. And uh, we already saw Jason get resurrected from the dead, so... It's not a huge leap to say that his soul or whatever can transfer into the bodies. Who cares? But the addition of the new family members and this dumb mystical dagger, really, it's 
out of left field and very stupid. Speaking of very stupid, Jason X 2001 takes place in the future when Jason has again been inexplicably resurrected. A scientist, Rowan LaFontaine, decides that cryonic suspension is the only method of stopping him. But Jason breaks free and kills the army personnel guarding him before he can again be imprisoned. Rowan manages to lure Jason into the cryo chamber, but he ruptures the tank and freezes both himself and Rowan. Over 400 years later, a team of students studying Earth discover Jason's body and take it into space. Upon being thawed by the team, he proceeds to murder everyone aboard the spacecraft. He is seemingly killed, but is then resurrected via nanotechnology as a cyborg version of himself. Finally, he is ejected into space and incinerated by Earth-2's atmosphere, his mask falling to the bottom of the lake. The next Friday the 13th film is Freddy vs. Jason from 2003. It's a crossover with A Nightmare on Elm Street. Set in the contemporary period, Freddy Krueger resurrects Jason. Uh, so I think this is how Jason gets out of hell. It kind of picks up after Jason goes to hell, and then Jason X would be after this at some point. Uh, resurrects Jason and sends him to Springwood, hoping that he will create enough fear among the residents that Freddy will be strong enough to invade their dreams. Jason accomplishes this, but refuses to stop killing. A battle ensues both in the dream world and at Crystal Lake. The outcome is left ambiguous as Jason surfaces from the lake, holding Freddy's severed head, which winks and laughs. So Jason kind of wins, but Freddy's still alive, so it's kind of a draw. Six years later, in 2009, a new Friday the 13th film, which restarted the film series continuity, was released. In this film, after witnessing his mother being beheaded at a young age, an adult Jason follows in her footsteps and kills anyone who comes to Crystal Lake. Jason subsequently kidnaps a young woman, Whitney Miller, who resembles his mother at a young age. Six weeks after her disappearance, her brother Clay Miller comes to look for her. The pair reunite and work together to seemingly kill Jason, and um, we don't know anything that happens to Jason after that because a sequel was never released, and that's where the franchise ended. We do have some exciting news that Peacock is working on a TV series about Crystal, that's like the Crystal Lake Chronicles or something, that will tell the story from the beginning featuring a young Jason and Pamela and... Um, Supposedly, we'll get an adult Jason at some point, and if they they even tease if there's enough, if they go far enough in the seasons, they'll eventually take him back to space. So I don't expect that to happen, but I'm very excited for this series. I've been dying for a new Friday the Thirteenth for over ten years, and I mean the whole reason that it's been taking this long is because there's a legal battle between the original writer for the first Friday the Thirteenth. I think it's like minor or minor or something. I think it's minor. Um, uh, and uh, Sean S. Cunningham. And they're trying to decide who is responsible because I think Sean Cunningham invented the Jason hockey mask stuff, but he didn't create Friday the 13th. The minor guy did, or Miller. I don't remember what his, the other guy's name is. Uh, so there's some controversy there, and they've been fighting for the rights for a long time, but I guess the TV rights are different. So Peacock's able to make a TV series, but no movies. Since the date seems to be important in this franchise, considering it is in the title, I thought I would research which of these movies is actually set on Friday the 13th, 
In doing this research, I also noticed something else interesting, which I'll point out uh, a little bit later. So in 1957, according to the original timeline, Jason drowns at camp. Friday, June 13th, 1958, we get the opening scene where Pamela gets her revenge and camp is closed. So there's our first Friday the 13th. Then the rest of the movie takes place on Wednesday, June 13th, 1979, where Pamela returns to keep the camp from opening and does all her killings. So majority of it doesn't take on Friday the 13th, but I guess the inciting incident is on a Friday the 13th. Part two takes place Friday, July 13th through Saturday, July 14th. Uh, That's when Jason begins his killing spree on the 13th and the movie kind of wraps up the next day. Part three... That one takes place a day later, so that's actually Sunday, July 15th. Jason comes back that next day to finish the job when new people show up. The final chapter, again, is only like a day later on um, Monday, July 16th through Wednesday, July 18th. Again, it picks up the next day when Jason escapes the morgue and returns to Crystal Lake to do more killing. Then we got a new beginning That does take place on Friday, October 13th, 1989. There's a time jump to a 17-year-old Tommy. So now we're a couple years in the future. We were a couple years in the future with part two. I don't know why they skipped to 1984, but now we've jumped ahead a little bit again after we just caught up on the final chapter to 1984. Then in part six... That also takes place Friday, July 13th. We're in 1990, so it's still in the future, but it's only a year later. Jason goes on a killing spree after being resurrected by Tommy. Then A New Blood, which came out in 88. That same year, 1990, a young Tina accidentally kills her dad. We're not sure what that date is, but it seemed to be shortly after Jason lives. Then there's another time jump to Friday, June 13th, 1997. So we're about 10 years in the future at that point because the movie came out in 88. Now 17-year-old Tina returns to the lake. Then Jason Takes Manhattan, which came out in 89, takes place May of 98. There were no Friday the 13th in that month, so it couldn't have been on a Friday the 13th. But again, we're like 10 years in the future. Then in Jason Goes to Hell, it takes place on Friday, June 13th. That's when Jason possesses people in the form of a little buttworm. Freddy versus Jason. That one takes place Sunday, September 14th. So there's no Friday the 13th in that one. Jason X was released a year before Freddy versus Jason, but set after. And are on uh, Friday, August 13th, 2010. So we're back in the future again. Jason is frozen. And then we go really into the future to Friday, August 13th, 24. 55 Jason wakes up in space. So out of the 11 original movies including Freddy vs Jason, only 6 of them uh, have the bulk of the movie actually set on a Friday the 13th. Interesting fact. Then uh as I said, I noticed a lot of them take place in the future, so let me run down this real quick. Part 1 is set in 1979, which is the year the movie was filmed. So I'll be nice and just say that was set in the present. Part 2 and 3 are set a couple of years in the future. Then in Part 4, the movie timeline catches up. The movie was released in 84, and it takes place in 84. 2, 3, and 4 are all set in 84, like the same week. Then there's another huge time jump, and the rest of the movies are all set in the future, not counting the reboot. It is interesting that they do all these time jumps, but still manage to somehow barely get half of them to take place on Friday the 13th.
All right, now let me rank these movies now that I've told you what they're all about and kind of t- when they take place. Number 12, I just put as Freddy versus Jason because that's only a half Jason movie. Um, it's actually better than a lot of the later movies, but uh, just because Jason only gets half the screen time, I just put that at the bottom of the list. But if I was really going to rank it, it'd probably be somewhere in the middle, about six or seven. Number 11, Jason Goes to Hell, the final chapter. All of the lore shit they added and the dagger and the fact that Jason blows up at the beginning and they never explained how he got from Manhattan back to Crystal Lake or why he's alive again after being melted by toxic waste. I just have a lot of issues with that. I know the reason that happened is because uh, Jason Takes Manhattan was the last one at Paramount and then I think New Line did Jason Goes to Hell. So it was sort of just like a reason to get Jason to meet up with Freddy. They were kind of trying to get the ball rolling on that back in 93, but uh, it's kind of a stupid movie overall. Then next is the reboot, only because I I didn't want a reboot. I wanted a continuation of the timeline that I had already invested all my time into. I wish they would have just set it in the 90s and tied it to the original movies, And but the reboot's pretty good. It just I, I just wish it tied into the rest. Number nine is Jason X. Obviously, that movie's really stupid, but it is also a fun watch, so it gets more play in my house than some of the other ones, just because it's dumb but fun. Next up is Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning. That one is low on my list just because Jason isn't the killer. It's some Roy dude, but I like how they... It's definitely moved up my list over the years, and it'll probably continue to rise just because I think it's a really good movie. There's a lot of good kills... I like that they tied Tommy in and like continued the story, even though Jason was dead. They found a way to do an interesting thing with that. Number seven on my list is Jason Takes Manhattan. That movie does something interesting with the franchise by taking him out of Crystal Lake for the first time. But they promised that he, Jason is going to take Manhattan and the budget only allowed like five minutes of filming in Manhattan. So really it's Jason takes the boat or whatever because most of the movie takes place on this little cruise ship dinghy thing and he's just killing people on this boat rather than doing anything in manhattan just like a few shots (laughs) the last like 15 minutes are in manhattan but overall i do think that's still a fun one number six right in the middle is the original friday the 13th from 1980 it's a really good horror movie but that's not really what i come to the friday the 13th franchise for i like the more gruesome, fun kills. I like Jason prowling around, and uh, this one just has his mom. The number five on my list is Friday the 13th Part 3. A lot of good kills here, but they rely on that 3D technology too much, and so it's really kind of cheesy, and watching it at home on without 3D is kind of annoying. It's because it's just a bunch of excuses to have things come out the camera and they just look cheesy without the 3D. And they probably look cheesy with the 3D these days. Number four on my list is part two. This one finally introduces Jason. He's got the bag on his head, so it's not quite the Jason we would recognize, but it's still a fun horror movie. And uh, one of the few that brings back a character from the previous movie, even though they kill her off in the first minute. Next is uh, Odd Choice, I would say, for most people. But I put at number three on my list, part seven, The New Blood, which is the Jason versus Carrie situation or whatever, the telekinetic Tina. I like that uh, Jason finally has 
a rival that has some power and can actually do some damage. That was an interesting twist on the franchise, but it's a, and it's also like adding magic or whatever to the series. I, I don't know. It I think it works and it's fun. Number two on the list is Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Probably actually the best in the series. It's still kind of grounded in a way and uh, a lot of good actors in like uh, Crispin Glover and Corey Feldman and all do great jobs. There's a really good story, good characters, and like a lot of good Jason action. So it's a really a, probably the perfect and most people's favorite. But my favorite, number one on my list, is Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. This is where they finally get into Bonkers Town, where I like to live where we have Tommy resurrect Jason and now he's like a walking zombie unstoppable killing machine and he'll just like rip people's arms off fold people in half he's more powerful than ever and uh he looks great he's huge he's intimidating the mask is beautiful yeah so I think this is like the height of the series for me now I mentioned Jason's mask a couple of times and the way he looks so let's talk about his best looks there's really a few elements to jason so there's these three elements his mask his face and like his overall outfit and body it's pretty inconsistent in the franchise so i wanted to take a moment to talk about some of my favorite looks first we'll go with the mask we've got the bag in part two is probably my least favorite uh, up there with the upgraded uber jason i think it's called in x and my favorite is probably from part four or part eight i like part four establishes the the dent in the head where, where he gets cut with the machete and the mask and that i like that that carries through a lot of the franchise so i'm gonna say that's my favorite mask now uh for as for outfits um again least favorites are probably the weird farming overalls in part two or the uber jason weird shit that's i'm not gonna even talk about that i like i mean jason lives is my favorite but i don't like his he's like too tactical in that he's got like this workman's belt i don't know where he gets that from but he's like pulling out like darts and shit from it and killing people i don't really love that the best is might be jason takes manhattan like that's where he's been at that lake bottom of the lake for a long time his clothes are all he's all sewagey and wet looking and i just like that look a lot then we can talk about their faces a little bit Again, part two is not great. He's got weird ha- stringy red hair that I don't like. Part three's got a great face. Part four, he's a little too zombie looking. And then part six, he is zombie looking, but it makes sense because he is a zombie. The best is probably part seven. It's really monstrous and creepy. And he, I like the chains he has around his neck and stuff. And I, I got to say part Jason goes to hell, whatever. I think that's eight. That one's bad because he's all lumpy and tumorous and his mask is like being eaten by his skin uh it's kind of gro- too grotesque all right now on to the kill counts and best kills so running through these movies in part one there are 10 kills part two also 10 part three there are 12 part four the final chapter there are 14 a new beginning there are 18 Part 6, there are 18. Part 7, 15. Part 8, there are 18. Jason Goes to Hell, there are 29. 
Jason X, 21. Freddy vs. Jason, 14. And the reboot, 14. That's a total of 193 kills per movie and an average of 16 per film. Now we can take out part one, if we want to just do Jason's, take out part one and part five. So that would subtract 28 kills. But uh, also there's this note I see down here. 19,727 people were blown up slash sucked into outer space when Jason inadvertently caused the ship to crash in Solaris from Jason X. Confirmed by the writer-director Todd Farmer that... So he's actually responsible for almost 20,000 deaths, but inadvertently he that was an accident and he just blew up a whole space station and killed a whole shit ton of people. But we're not going to count those. That's just an interesting note. Some of the best kills in the franchise. These are my top 13, starting with number 13 from Friday the 13th Part 1. Mommy loses her head. From Jason Goes to Hell, Jason explodes. So these aren't kills per se. These are the villains dying, but still, they are dead. They were killed. In part six, ripped out a heart. That's when Jason rips out a guy's heart straight out of his chest. Part three, Vera's harpoon in the eye. The final chapter, killing the coroner. So that's a cool kill right to start off that movie. In Freddy vs. Jason, Trey stabbed and folded when he completely folds the bed in half crushing that guy that's a good kill jason goes to hell deborah split in half in the tent now this is iconic for me this is number seven on my list this jason goes to hell is actually i just remembered this right now when i was way too young fourth fifth grade i walked in uh when my neighbor's older brother rented jason x had just came out so 94 it was probably on vhs that would make me eight years old, maybe nine, eight or nine years old. And I saw this. No, I had to be 10. So it had to be out for a couple of years. I'm going to say I was 10 years old. That just so it doesn't sound awful because I can't imagine being nine years old seeing this. But there's the tent scene where the machete cuts the lady in half and she like splits open. I was fascinated by that and mesmerized. And I think that's actually where I fell in love with these movies. Uh, So, man, I should move this up on my list now that I think about it. But just leave it there for now. Uh, Another iconic one in The New Blood, there's the sleeping bag slam. Part three, the handstand hack where the guy's walking around on his hands and gets chopped through the crotch. Number four on my list is from part three. It is Rick's head was squeezed until it popped. Then number three is from part two, the wheelchair machete to the face and a trip down the stairs that just goes on and on and on. Number two is from Jason Takes Manhattan. It's the one where the guy's head gets punched right off his body and into a dumpster in the alley. And then number one is the frozen face smash from Jason X. But I'm actually going to move all of those down and put the split in half in the tent from Jason Goes to Hell as number one for me. I gotta do it. I think it's better than the frozen face mesh. Alright, now it's time to talk about the music and the taglines. Here we have the overlay of evil slash main title theme from Friday the 13th Part 1. Some taglines for this movie include Lucky 13, I think not. 
If you think it brings bad luck, you don't know the half of it. One by one they disappeared. Why? Don't count on making it to Saturday morning. Oh, here's the iconic, uh, often misheard. Another tagline, don't make plans for Sunday. You'll wish it were only a nightmare. Fridays will never be the same again. A 24-hour nightmare of terror. They were warned, they are doomed. And on Friday the 13th, nothing will save them. And finally, you may only see it once, but that will be enough. So this is a very iconic theme song, very recognizable even among non-horror fans, so you know I had to include this one. It's a reoccurring theme in that ch ch kick kick kill ma 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 or I believe kill for me mommy, it's taken from that line. I think I have more info on that later possibly. But uh, I also have one more song from this. Very psycho sounding that. Well, in like a little Jaws, I believe, but uh, iconic. The second song for this movie I have is The Boat on the Water slash Closing Credits. So this is when, uh, I think Tina is her name maybe? I don't remember. She She's on the boat all alone. It's very serene and then something bad happens, which you'll hear in a moment. But uh, Hen when Henry Manfredini began working on the musical score, the decision was made to only play music where the killer was actually present so as to not manipulate the audience. Manfredini pointed out the lack of music for certain scenes. There's a scene where one of the girls is setting up the archery area. One of the guys shoots an arrow into the target and just misses her. It's just a huge scare, but you notice there's no music. That was a choice. Manfredini also noted that when something was going to happen, the music would cut off so the audience would relax a bit, and the scare would be that much more effective. Skipped ahead a little bit so we can get to the end of the song that I want to hear, but I have a little bit more to say. Because the killer, Mrs. Voorhees, appears on screen only during the final scene of the film, Manfredini had the job of creating a score that would represent the killer in her absence. Manfredini borrows from the 1975 film Jaws, where the shark is likewise not seen for the majority of the film, but the motif created by John Williams cued the audience on the shark's invisible menace. Sean Cunningham, here he is. Love so dramatic and intense. All right, that's the end of that. I'm moving on to the theme from No, Keep a Cool Head, aka main title from Friday the 13th, part two, referencing the fact that there's a head in the refrigerator at the beginning of this movie. Uh, completing my sentence from earlier. Sean Cunningham, S. Cunningham sought a chorus, but the budget would not allow it. While listening to Christoph Penendrecki piece of music which contain a chorus with the striking pronunciations. 
Manfredini was inspired to recreate a similar sound. He came up with the sound k k k ma 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 from the final reel when Mrs. Voorhees arrives and is reciting Kill her mommy! The ki k comes from kill and the ma from mommy. To achieve the unique sound he wanted in, for the film, Manfredini spoke the words harshly, distinctly, and rhythmically into a microphone and ran them into an echo reverberation machine. Manfredini finished the original score after a couple of weeks and then recorded the score in a friend's basement. Victor Miller and assistant editor Jay Cooper uh, have commented on how memorable the music is with Cooper describing it as iconographic. Manfredini says everybody thinks it's cha-cha-cha. I'm like, cha-cha-cha? What are you talking about? Here's, and there it is right there. Uh, but this is Friday the 13th Part 2, so let me rattle through some of these taglines. One year ago today, 12 of her friends were violently murdered. Why should the first anniversary be any different? The body count continues. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to camp. There's the jaws, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Uh, the day you count on for terror is not over. Uh, one more song from this movie. It's the return to Shez Jason, a.k.a. Titles. Uh, Harry Manfredini is still in charge of the music. Uh, he is an American composer and jazz soloist. He was has scored more than 100 films, including most of the Friday the 13th series. He has had years of classical training, as well as 20 years in the popular music scene. In conversation with Russian journalist and composer Tony Vilgotsky, Henry Harry Manfredini said this musical taste and style were influenced by such composers as Giacomo Puccini, Igor Stravinsky, and Maurice Ravel, among others. Again, this music is super scary, super tense, and it really helps to elevate these films that I love so much. Just like, imagine being chased through the woods with this song playing. Ooh, spooky, spooky stuff. But I got a lot more movies to get to, so let's go to part three. The theme from Friday the 13th Part 3, as I mentioned. Join Jason in the woods if you dare. That's from the theatrical trailer. A new dimension in terror. Oh, this is the one in 3D, so that's what that is. Camp Crystal Lake's bloody legacy. A new dimension in terror. There's nowhere to hide. We dare you to try. Kill, kill. Just a great piece of music. And then, this is so great. We get into like this disco style opening credits. One of my favorite pieces of music from the whole franchise. 
very different from the first three movies, but I think it's to get the party going with like the 3D atmosphere. It's more fun. Throw a little dance party with little spooks and haunts. Love it. Whatever that boing 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 sound is, perfect. Okay, I don't know what else to say about this, I just love it. Uh, let me move on to another song, though. This one is Jason Downstairs to Barn. The film's music was composed by Harry Manfredini, who previously composed the scores of the series' first two installments. A disco theme was also included in the film, co-written by Manfredini and Michael Zagger, who shared a credit with a fictional band called Hot Ice. The theme was included on release of the film's soundtrack, and according to Manfredini, became popular at disco and gay clubs at the time. I mean, you can see why. It's pretty great. And then this is back to more of the basics, like Killer Jason music. The strings and horns. Let me, this is a six minute long song, so let me skip ahead and see if there's any big changes. Uh, it, it, this is a reoccurring theme too, as Jason gets closer, it, the strings speed up like that. And it sounds like somebody might have died. But again, very jawsy. Uh, let's move on to part four, the final chapter. Here are some taglines. Well, this, uh, first of all, what boy mama slash main title, or what boy ma'am, sorry, slash main titles. Taglines include three times before you have felt the terror, now known the madness, lived the horror, but this is the one you've been screaming for because Friday, April 13th will be Jason's unlucky day. Jason is back, and this is the one you've been screaming for. This is the one you'll be dying for. Happy April 13th, it's Jason's unlucky day. So, playing with that same theme. All the taglines are pretty similar. Damn, that's scary stuff. Similar to the previous themes, not including that disco one, <laughs> but it's a little more mellow with some big jumps in it. Another song from this is Le La Mate de Jason, which I believe means Jason is dead or something like that? I'm not sure. Let 
the death of Jason. I, I'm, I want to say that's what it means. The film music was composed by, you've guessed it, Harry Manfredini. On January 13th, 2020, or 2012, excuse me, La La Land Records released a limited edition six CD box set containing Manfredini's score from the first six entries of the film series. The release was sold out in less than two, 24 hours of availability. And that's what we're listening to now. It's on iTunes. So that's where I'm listening to. It only contains the music for the first six movies. So I'll have to switch to YouTube once we get to chapter seven. But again, this music is great. You, what can more can you say? Harry Manfredini is an icon for this There it is. All right, let's go on to a new beginning. Right away, the song starts with the kick kills. Uh, Taglines include If Jason still haunts you, you're not alone A new beginning to the first step in terror The mindless murderous fury that was buried with Jason has been reborn And suddenly, terror has become child's play These are the main titles If you hadn't guessed, I don't think I said They get right into it with this one. And they do this trick where it just like feels like it keeps getting faster and higher, but this little part right here, this little spooky section is found throughout the movie too, as you see Jason aka the killer in this movie. Uh, next song. This one's called Punk Funk. I like to throw in a weird dancey one every now and then. Harry Manfredini is back again. Other works include Through the Looking Glass from 1976, Swamp Thing from 1982, The Hills Have Eyes Part 2 from 85, House from 85, Slaughter High from 86, and House 2, the second story from 87. One of the best movie subtitles in the history of film. I mean, Punk Funk, the title says it all. Not very Jason-y, but it's nice to throw in like a little fun track here and there. Alright, next up we're on to Jason Lives. This track is called Here We Go Again, opening titles. 
If you think it's hard to keep a good man down, try keeping down a bad one. Kill or be killed? Nothing this evil ever dies. Evil always rises again? The nightmare returns this summer. This is a great opening title sequence, probably my favorite just visually. It really gets to the what people love about the franchise, I think, and it makes it over the top and silly and does like this weird James Bond thing with Jason. It's incredibly cool. Perfect it's like hits all of the things I love somehow. waiting for a ch 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 k k k thing, but maybe it'll be in this next song. This is the rescue slash finale. You guessed it, the music was composed by Harry Manfredini. In addition to the original score, the soundtrack also featured He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask by Alice Cooper. Which I also have that song if you guys like to hear it. I don't know if you guys deserve it. But I guess if you stuck around past the hour mark, which we're getting close to, if not already past, might as well throw it in here. I guess, uh, well, there, this has the ch ch Like I said, this is by Alice Cooper from his album Constrictor, which had an accompanying music video combining clips from the film and new footage featuring Cooper. Teenage Frankenstein by Alice Cooper from his album Constrictor, Hard Rock Summer by Alice Cooper from the box set, The Life of Crimes by Alice Cooper, and I'm No Animal by A Felony from the, their album Vigilante. Who's back? Oh, you're talking about Jason. <laughs> He's always been pretty out of control. This is just a great song to have on at any time of year, but putting it on a like horror or Halloween party playlist. You'll be a hero. Alright, let's move on to part seven because we're back at the chorus again. This is uh, the title sequence, I believe, from The New Blood. On Friday the 13th, Jason is back. 
but this time he's met his match. On Friday the 13th, Jason will meet his match. Jason is back, but this time someone's waiting. On Friday the 13th, Jason is back, but this time someone is waiting. So, same tagline basically three times. Another song from this is End Credits. I do really like this version, this song. It's not really anything like the previous songs we've heard, but it's, uh, takes the the uh, music in a new direction that I it, it's haunting in its own way Fred Molin worked with Harry Manfredini to create the score for this film he is an American and Canadian record producer musician film and TV composer music director music supervisor and songwriter Another song, this is called Dad's Death, slash The Pier, um, slash Tina Summons, slash Dan's Death. So it's kind of sped up version of the song we just heard, but with some more elements. Back to what I was saying. He has produced records for Jimmy Webb, John Mathis, Billy Ray Cyrus, Lamont Dozer in America, and has composed music for Beverly Hills 90210. Jeepers. Friday the 13th films and television, Forever Night, Hard Copy, and many more. Mullen rose to prominence early in his career by producing with Matthew McCauley, Dan Hill's international hit record, Sometimes When We Touch, in 1977. Now we are on to Jason Takes Manhattan. The city that has seen it all ain't seen nothing yet. The biggest city in the world is about to be scared down to size. New York has a new problem. And the Big Apple's in big trouble. Again, a new take on the theme, not really much uh, taken from the previous films. It's like this drum pounding thing that's not there. The horns and the strings are kind of gone, and the k k kills haven't popped up yet. This was a story of Jason, Jason's resurrected, impractical joke, end of Jimmy. And this next song is called Sean Finds Rennie slash Police Car After Collision, Sink or Swim, Goodbye McLock, Sean and Rennie, Jason Breaks It Up. So, I don't know why it's got ten titles. The film's musical score was composed by Fred Mullinigan. He worked with longtime Friday the 13th composer Harry Manfredini on the previous installment. 
like I said. Jason Takes Manhattan was the first film in the series not to feature Manfredini credit on the score. The song Darkest Side of Night, performed by Metropolis, plays over the opening and end credits of the film. Rob Hedden specifically wanted them to write in a song reminiscent of Robert Plant. So this is pretty good, but it's not as good as what we've heard before. This, I think I don't really like what Fred Mullen is doing. Here's that song from Metropolis that I mentioned. Um, it's a pretty good song. It's not as good as Alice Cooper's song, but there's a. It, it, it fits the movie pretty well. It's very that time period, though. chorus and then we'll move on again I think you could put this on a spooky playlist and the people who know will know why it's there there was that. Now let's move on to Jason Goes to Hell. The Final Friday. The creator of the first returns to bring you the last. Evil has finally found a home. Jason goes to hell and he's not coming back. Horror has many faces. Death wears many different masks. But pure evil wears only one. And this is your final chance to see it. Okay, here's finally get a k -k kill back in there. And there's a reason for that. This is the ending theme. very peaceful because obviously Jason's finally dead. Uh, Harry Manfredini is back. He did the music once again uh, and that is why we get those k -k kills back in there. He knows where the what the music needs. And this song also takes us back to the first movie where we've got the boat scene very similar song here
Alright, next up we've got Jason X opening credits. This Halloween, meet the perfect 10 in terror. Evil gets an upgrade. Welcome to the future of horror. He's been drowned, chainsawed, knifed, axed, hammered, shocked, burned, spiked, nailed, shot, and frozen. Now he's back for more. This one's kind of Tim Burton-y. Well, let's go to a next song. It's called Virtual Crystal Lake. Maybe it'll... hoping it'll sound more classic Jason. Well, we got that necessary element. It does kind of throw back to the original. The strings are there, the k k kills are there, the horns. Oh, and did I mention, Harry Manfredini is back once again to do the score. Uh, at this point, I don't have anything left to say about that guy, except for that's the guy you need to do a, a Friday the 13th movie. He knows how to get that Jaws-type music with uh, some of that... Uh, Alfred Hitchcock style. Uh, I got one more song. It's the from the end credits. I, I just enjoyed that song so much. I was going to keep listening to it. I also should mention I'm skipping Friday, Freddy vs. Jason because I already covered that on the Freddy episode, and that music is not great. Uh, but you can hear all of that on my uh, Spookin' with Freddy that I did. I don't know six months ago or something. Look it up. Again, I'm... For as bad as Jason X is, I'm not really mad at the music. It's just the weird shit they did to Jason. Still better than Jason Goes to Hell, uh. Even though Manfredini did that music, too. One more movie to go, and then I can let you guys out of here. This is the music from Friday the 13th, 20, uh, 2009. And this is the opening titles. They knew how to put the k k kills in there. They know what they needed. Uh, welcome to Crystal Lake. Jason lives, many will die. 
prepare for the day everyone fears. You know his name. You know the story. On Friday the 13th, witness his resurrection. Bad luck. You don't know the half of what you're in for. This is a, as we said earlier, this is a new take on Jason. Um, and then this modernized version of the music kind of fits the movie pretty good. I'm glad they did the iconic thing. That's necessary. But then it's kind of too uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake with like this sound. Kind of reminds me of the Saul movies. I I, I don't know. I prefer my orchestra cellos and whatever instead of whatever this sound effect is. I like the drums. That's like a heavy heartbeat. But then the other sound effects around it aren't... They're not instruments. I don't know what they are. But one more song and a little bit more to go. So let's check that out. This is the end credits. Producer J, uh, Andrew Form and Brad Fuller recognized the iconic status of the music used in the first four Friday the 13th films. For the 2009 film, they immediately had the studio attain the licensing rights to the music, which was composed and performed by Harry Manfredini. Uh, you may have heard that name come up a few times already. They did not plan to use the score in its entirety, but they had Steve Jablonski compose a score that was reminiscent of Manfredini's and created an atmosphere for the 2009 film. Nispil contracted Jablinski score Friday the 13th after having worked with him on the remake to the Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Nispil told Jabalinski he wanted to, him to create something that Nispil could whistle when he left the theater, but was subtle enough that it would not immediately register while watching the film. Nispil said, I don't believe that when you watch a Friday the 13th film, you want to feel like John Williams is sitting next to you with the London Symphony Orchestra. I do wish they uh, stuck with the original score a little bit more, because this they bought the rights to it, but this doesn't really sound anything like it. I, I do think it fits the film a little more, because Jason's... He does like some running in the movie. He's a little bit more scary, brutish, and then, uh, less silly. Steve Jablonski also did the music for the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, so you can hear more about him on the Freddy episode as well. And if I do do a second season of this, I will talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre score then, since I have not watched any of those films. That'll be fun. But uh, that will wrap up this 
episode and the first season of Spookin' with Saf. I hope you enjoyed every one of these episodes. I had a blast making them. Hopefully I'll do some more in the future, but I'm going to take some time off to let the other geeks fill the gaps in the schedule. Uh, but if you enjoyed this episode, I recommend checking out my other Spookin' with Saf episodes if you haven't already listened to them. And I also recommend checking out our The Geeks uh, Talk About Friday the 13th or whatever episode that we did a couple years ago where we just talked about the whole franchise with all four of us. And we also did drink-alongs for part two and part three so far. So every Friday the 13th we try to do a drink-along to one of these films and I think the next one is in September, where we will be talking about, uh, or drinking along to Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, maybe the best movie in the franchise, so I hope y'all stay tuned, check that out, and uh, thank you for listening. I declare this meeting of Spookin' with Saf closed. Until next time, drink up. And pleasant dreams, everyone.